Welcome, travelers, to the Tri Tech Games Podcast. Come see how the Romans, the Norlanders, and the Demixie all celebrate the winter solstice. And now, our hosts. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Rich. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of ringing in Twelfth Night with festivals and celebrations, but they're not ours. They're from a very far away. Yo, Saturnalia. We had a competition. Uh, we had a, a, a voting thing, and we said, what do you want your Christmas or holiday, whatever way you want to look at it, episode to be? And by a very slim margin, uh, this could have been a very different podcast. Uh, but as it is, we are d- talking about uh, celebrating a non-Christmas holiday, uh, winter holiday on some of the alternate worlds of Fringeworthy. And each of us has uh, at least attempted to pick one of the various Fringeworthy races and cultures that are in the book and see what we could do about bringing the awesome to their midwinter's festival. Yeah, there's different things. Though I can see, you know, occasionally you'll you'll see if someone shed is shedding at the time of year, they'll keep their their shedded skin and fill it full of stuff, you know, and sit out in the yard, you know. <laughs> yeah. I oh, I can imagine. I can imagine the humans <laughs> first time they're doing that, and all of a sudden it's like you gave me a filled your your husk filled with larva. <laughs> and the portal is in this direction. Okay. Hey, I'm going to leave something on at home. Yeah. It's good eating. Or actually, of course, as they, as they would say it, it's good evening. <laughs> <laughs> they, hand you, they hand you this sack with a, with a, a silver straw sticking out of it. Enjoy. And it's pulsating. <laughs> right. Check, please. Of course yeah. it is. And, and, and like I said, probably illuminated from within. Oh God! Super. It, it says smells wonderful, doesn't it? No, actually, it smells quite revolting. Because <laughs> I just figured they would have they would have different taste buds. You know, they they wouldn't. Because I taste buds. Well, or taste. Well, yeah, yeah. They have to. Yeah, they would have to. They'd have some way of tasting stuff. Because I mean that that is um you know and yeah. and that is nature's way nature's yeah. way of making you want to eat. If they had a sense of smell, they'd have a sense of taste. It's ever reasonably they would have a sense of taste. I mean, because we, we all know that because we all know that senses of taste are informed by your t- and sense of smell, anyways. Right. Uh, so, and that's uh, an area on the underside of your brain. So, there's no reason why they would have an equivalent specification of of, of sensory organs. Hey, Richard, here's a question for you. Since you created the Mixie, 
What do they consider sweet tasting that we consider not to be sweet tasting? If anything. If anything. Well, that's, that is genetics. You know, uh, I can I can drink the, um, oh, what, the what is that stuff, that bitter, um, um, the Canada Dry, the bitter stuff. Oh, ginger? Uh, not ginger. It's, uh, I'm trying to think of what it's called, uh, the tonic water. Oh, oh. okay. To me, tonic water is very, very sweet. But to my okay. wife, it's horrible. Yeah, I can't stand it. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm just thinking that you know, you know, what they consider to be a uh, a spicy dinner, we take a bite and go, "Oh, that's so sweet." That's why I put that in there. I was I was assuming that that whatever spice that they would put into this stuff would, you know, might be might even be poisonous to us. So I was just like, that's why it causes involuntary vomiting. Or they consider capsicum to be to be a savory savory flavoring instead of. Oh, a, a sure. <laughs> it's like my face is melting. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, me first, me first. <laughs> that could be quite literally because of the material that's been injected into the the sack. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dissolved protein. I really wouldn't want to touch that. I I wouldn't eat that if I were you. <laughs> On this world. You know, arachnoids and and uh, and um, arthropods rule. So, okay, just point me one. I'll kill it and I'll make I'll cook it like a crab, you know, or right. treat it like a lobster. You know, you know, boil it and cook it like a lobster. Yeah, but that's not the traditional way of eating it, John. So come on. I know. You know, get 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 your freak on and start sucking, man. Oh God. Now you're back to Saturnella. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually thinking more toward the uh, Norlander Festival of Twelve Night. Okay. But before I do that, is there anything else you want to say about uh, your uh, our Demixie friends? No, no, I I, I've got it covered. So what happens when when to the small Demixie colony on Earth Prime, and they want to do this standard celebrations? Mm, that's a good one. Um, I guess they would they would have a small pig, because um, that that's what I imagined when I was thinking. You know, a mammal like from your area, Maine lobster. Oh, that's not my area. No, but it's New England. Clams. He's not in New England. No, I'm in Baltimore. Crabs. Whatever, but you know, but basically Maine lobster, but live. You know. Oh sure, yeah. Because it it already comes in its own shell. Yeah, and they'll and they'll properly wrap it up and treat it, and then inject it with the stuff, and then hey, it's ready to go. <laughs> they may even they may even hunt it. You know, they would definitely be eating a lot of shellfish. I would imagine Sh- shellfish and, and 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 arthropods. So yeah, a lot of lobster and crab. Well, I, w- I wouldn't see why they wouldn't be able to eat mammals as well. I mean, it's yeah, but it's sort of like um, the. It would sort of be like Richard Hammond of, of Top Gear. If it's not British food, he can't eat it because you know, it doesn't look right. It doesn't have enough legs. Well, yeah. Well, you you never know. I mean, they they, they might be they might be considered the cultured ones, and that's why they're the ones living on Earth because they're they're able to do that. The, the thing that we we always we always expect our our uh, fringe worthy um, ambassadors to be able to do go and eat the local food, and perhaps they embrace it. Maybe they like it. I would, I would imagine, I would imagine that they, if if they did serve me something with with the dissolved proteins inside, uh, I would see if they actually have, because you can imagine there'd be, be be at least someone in in their culture who basically can't 
di- you can't actually eat that while the while the proteins are act while the dissolver the enzymes are still active. So there may right. be a there may be a way to kill those enzymes. So you still have the soup, but you don't have the the soup maker. <laughs> I'm enzyme intolerant. Because <laughs> I'm thinking of right. that. I'm thinking of that one scene from from. Um, uh, the 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 um, what's his name? Um, uh, Jeff Goldblum, the Fly. Oh yeah, no, that's 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 that was a little bit of an inspiration for me for this. Yeah, because I see you take if, if you, without that enzyme killer, you take one suck, and there goes your tongue and your lower jaw. <laughs> well, let's let's not forget the uh, uh, back on Earth, the uh, the TV shows, and uh, of course Andrew Zimmer has to be fringeworthy. So, that's the best whatever I've ever eaten. <laughs> if anybody has never seen bizarre food, you need to see Andrew Zimmer eating things in Asia. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, closest I came was when he uh, paired up with uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh dear God. Yeah. <laughs> I tried watching the show. I just could not. I, I could not. <laughs> They've got a new. They've got a new show out, and I just saw the the um, TMZ was talking to the guy called Booze Explorer, and it's different types of alcoholic drink, and they're they're ones like oh they're spitting, you know, they're fermenting it in their mouth and spitting it back, and then you drink it, you know, things like that. Should have no problem. They watch that show. It's like I've been on Demixie Prime. This is nothing. <laughs> this sure makes the Civic Coffee lame. Yeah. Oh, have you heard the the latest the latest craze? Elephant coffee. Oh boy. Oh. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fermented. Mm. Well, that was the uh, was it the the cat crap coffee that was popular that was out of uh, somewhere. <laughs> That's out. the civet. Yeah, the civet. Yeah, civet. Yeah. I I I can actually imagine that the there's a special cafeteria in Alice Springs where you get to go in training. You know, basically, the cook is a demixie, or it's a zeal, <laughs> and they cook you their cuisine. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's, a caf- it's a special cafeteria. It's the cafeteria for ex- where you got proof you prove that you're an explorer and and also a man or a woman, uh, and you can eat just anything. You know, it's like it's like you know, and unlike and, and Riker who got dead ga, you get you get live ga. He even ate live. No, he put a thing of live gach in his mouth. Yeah, yes, but but he practiced with dead god, though. Yeah. Where men are real men, and women are real women, and small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri are real small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I can imagine the cafeteria having all sorts of you know weird dishes from around the world and around, and around the different primes. John, you can do that by going to Disney World, or you can go to the Capitol to the Amer- American Indian Museum and hit the actual American Indian, the Paleo Dinner Line. It's wonderful. As long as they got fry bread, I'm cool. So, so Peter, I always thought that uh, one of the, even though they're having a heat wave and all that stuff over there on um, uh, on the Prime, I always thought that a great winter. Uh, treat for the demixie would be flavored snow cones oh okay because i mean it's already liquid and you suck it out 
and it's colorful and it's snow. Right. Right. Sure. All right. Right. Meat flavored snow cones. Or or whatever, yeah. You know, they don't have to put you know sweet stuff in there. They can put any liquid they want in the snow cone. Right. <laughs> they would probably go crazy for honey. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, I can imagine various sherbets, but you know, savory sherbets. <laughs> sure. Because sherbets don't have milk in them. Because I can I can almost imagine they can't digest milk. So ice cream is right out. But sherbet doesn't have milk in it. So yeah, you can have um, you know uh, you know uh, pork flavored sherbet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Larva flavored sherbet. Well, that covers a wide amount of territory there, Peter. Right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and of course you know, and of course the the uh, cattle blood uh, snow cones. Oh, right. Is that cherry? No, <laughs> <laughs> sort of. <It's> not cherry. <laughs> I right, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a Maasai thing, right? Yeah, Maasai drink cow blood. And and don't the um um uh, I'm sorry the uh, gray uh, I'm sorry golden hoarders don't they don't they drink fermented blood? Uh, it's it's no, it's fermented mare's milk with the with the horse blood mixed in it. Horse blood mixed in. That's right. I knew there was I knew there was some blood in there somewhere. Yes, because that makes it all better. Yeah, yeah. Well, the blood sounds good. I don't know about the milk. <laughs> yeah, put hair put put hairs on your chest. The fact that you're a female, it's oh still okay, right? It'll put hair on your chest on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> when the Demixie talk to each other, they go, This <laughs> This will put hairs out of your face. He'll put hairs on your on your thorax. Or on your thorax. There you go. That's better. Yep, yep. Yes, it'll make you cross eyed. I mean really cross eyed. <laughs> All eight of them, yeah. All right, so you guys ready for some little uh a little bit of uh Norlander uh winter goodness? Yeah, bring it on, yeah. I need to give one thing to you, Bruce, before you do that. In Portals 4, which will be out hopefully mid-December, there is an entire Norlander uh, pack of MREs that are listed. And then if you translate the MRE the, uh, exterior, there's things like old bacon and things like that. It's really lovely. Melody went out of her way to do the... Uh, this this MRE sack, and if you translate it, it, I had tears in my eyes. It was so funny. You okay. Never want to eat MR in Norlander MREs ever. It's like <laughs> going to Disney World. It's like going to Disney World to the Swedish Pavilion and having lunch. Mm, nice jellied fish. Yeah, fish and fish and herring and herring and they even had herring pudding. Uh, oh mm, yeah. We covered the Norlanders almost a year ago Woo-hoo! to the recording of this podcast. It was before our uh, Christmas episode a year ago. It was actually released almost in December. So this is kind of interesting that we're doing this. Uh, the Norlanders, uh, they're, uh, uh, for the just to give a quick summary for them, they're the descendants of the Vikings in a world in which the, a plague of such virulence that pretty much everybody else died. And all that was left was this thin strip of humanity uh, up on the northern climbs. And so the Vikings essentially not only became the pri- 
the, the predominant culture on their world, they became pretty much the only culture on their world. There might be a few survivors here and there, but not enough to even make a new culture. So what we have here is, uh, you know, essentially a evolution of the culture of, of of Thor, of Thor and Odin and the and the other gods of of the of Ragnarok. So this is, uh, you know, these people, as we discussed, um, I. I, I had a lot of fun with basically trying to name them according to the D and D races, uh, and I said that the uh, Norlanders were like the half orcs of uh, of Richard's uh, uh, pantheon. These guys are well, they're not brutish in the sense that they're like you know uncultured or anything like that. They 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 love their stories and their their sagas. Okay, but they were a very strong and hardy people, and they weren't afraid to do anything. So, uh, you know, the, you know, these people were true partiers. They loved to party. They loved to get together and party. They loved to do a lot of stuff. And this, uh, what we're talking about is in fact, the feast of, uh, the uh, 12 days. It's the, uh, the festival of 12 nights. And that takes place starting on December the 20th according to the Gregorian uh, calendar, through the 31st of December. Now, this festival was called Jewel, okay? And the fact that it sounds an awful lot like Yule is no accident. So when we talk about the Yule log, Yule season, we're talking about this same season. The Norlanders were a very, very superstitious culture. These people believed in a spirit's, they believed in uh, the dead hanging around. They had ancestor worship. As a matter of fact, the beginning of Jewel uh, is all about uh, the dead because it's the middle winter. It's before the, the, the solstice. And uh, and so the, the, the days are getting ever, ever shorter. And, and this whole festival is kind of an appeal to uh, Freyr which is one of the three main gods that are worshipped in their culture. Thor, Odin, and Freyr are the three. They're all male gods. Freyr is the god of harvest and prosperity and and a lot of other things. So that's why he was the number one that they were going to worship. But the point is, is that they start this festival. And when I say festival, I'm not kidding. Okay, this is a, they start partying on the 20th and they don't stop. Okay, they really don't even stop on the 31st. Okay, they just stop when they fall down unconscious. And so this is this is a huge, a, a tremendous festival. And a lot of times it's uh, it starts with the wild hunt. Uh, the the, the uh, Norlanders at the time in, in Fringeworthy, their culture is a set in about the 1500s. And so the whole story of the wild hunt, where uh, this this phasmagoric pack of riders and animals are racing across the landscape just a little bit above the ground, not high in the sky, just above the ground. And they come along and they will sweep past people if they happen to be out, steal, pulling their souls into the wild hunt. They're also, they grab up the spirits, uh, wayward spirits of the undead that are walking around. And this 
this was a very fearsome time for a lot of people, and that's because this was the time of the dead before life had come back into the world. So there were uh, so the beginning of the the uh, festival of twelve nights is all about the dead. Uh, sacrifices were made toward the dead. Uh, uh, feasts were made toward the dead. Worse, you know. Put, Putting up, uh, getting together, and cheering of uh, the the deeds of your ancestors and of your tribe. It was all part of their culture, and uh, and this and this was you know the first part of what they did. Continued, you know, during all this, but as they continued on, it became more and more toward the idea of spring was coming. So at the very end of it, it was actually a huge celebration of life. So the first thing that would happen in this celebration, okay, before uh, is they would go out and they would find themselves the biggest, thickest, hardest tree that they could find. And they would drag that thing back to preferably their feast hall because we're talking about a tree. We're not talking about a trim tree. We're not talking about a tree trunk. We're talking about a tree. And they would drag that back to their feast hall, and they would stick it end first, not the top part, but the bottom part, into the fire, and it would basically continue to burn the entire time of the Festival of Twelve Nights. And this is what was uh, was referred to as the Yule Log. The, so, of course, this tree is filling the entire area full of... of uh, of, of the sense of pine, and, you know, it's, it's possible that... Animals that are still in the tree haven't awoken from the heat of the, of the, of the, uh, of the, the feast house or beginning to scamper around the room. Uh, I'm sure that they would have cut off some of the branches and used them for decorations and such. So there's a whole thing about the, you know, the trees and, bur- and that, that particular log burning it in either a home or preferably in the feast hall. Now, I mentioned the, uh, uh, the, the wild hunt. Uh, later... The Wild Hunt was supposedly led by Odin uh, on his on his horse, uh, which was called uh, uh, Sleipner. On the twentieth, all the children would leave their boots out, filled with hay and filled with sugar, uh, to to feed Sleipner. Uh, and uh, and and if Odin thought favorably of their offering he would uh he would feed the, the the feed to his his horse and then he would place golden coins or sweets or other types of things in their boots uh if this sounds familiar to you all well now you know where it came from <laughs> if you were good you got a coin if you were bad you got a stick right but that's that was the German uh, version of it. But in the northern parts, you know, where the Norlanders would have been out of in Norway and other types of places, uh, they it was actually a, a, an offering to uh, to Odin's horse. Anyways, um, of course, later on in history, uh, Schnappler changed to a reindeer. But that's the influence of Christianity coming in the area, which in the case of the Norlanders never happened. Uh, except only in a very minor way, because we, we said that Christianity did did still exist on the Norlander world, but it was kind of literally vertically siloed, uh, prefer- uh, mostly down in the Mideast er- uh, areas. This is so. I think this is happening up in the up in the Norse countries. Well, it started there, but it would have been brought all the way down south, you know, as they explored down, uh, you know, to the Mediterranean. 
All right, and they found the occasional pockets here and there you know, of survivors who more or less get subsumed into the into the Norse into the Norse group, I guess, Norlander group, or eliminated as Skraling. That too, yeah. So, so no, no Krampus, no, uh, no story of the Krampus in this. No, not in this particular one. No. Concentrating on the festival of twelve nights, which is a pretty, which though it, it has some deep, uh, some some rather dark un- undertones and overtones to it, right. it's actually mostly considered to be a, a a great festival. Okay, so very benign, very. Well, I don't want to use the word benign because we're about to get to something else. Okay. Oh, and, okay. Oh, all right. All right. All right. Because uh, par- uh, because they were fearful of the, the 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 loss of life and that maybe winter might not stop and come back. Okay. One of their uh, very uh, strong traditions was the sacrifice of animals, and not always animals. There was a great um, temple that was up in Sweden. It was called. Uh, uh, it was called Ga- uh, Gamla Uppsala, which is uh, outside the, the now t- village of Uppsala in Sweden. Uh, the temple that was there is gone now, which was probably burned down by Christians uh, sometime in its history. Uh, but it's now, uh, you know, there's only a few things, you know, indications left of it. But I think that the Norlanders would have kept it up and probably enlarged it. Uh, there's, it, it was a big, huge, tall, uh, building, uh, church and there, and there they would have their, uh, the, the festival of sacrifices. If there were Christians around, they were exempted from taking part in this, uh, in, in these ceremonies by paying a tithe. Uh, they were just like uh, the Romans. Uh, the Jews were allowed to exempt themselves from all the various uh, sacrifices to the Roman gods. The the uh, the Christians and other religions, whoever they might be, could exempt themselves by paying a uh, a, a fee to the uh, uh, the Norlander authorities. But the rest of them, okay, took part in in, in this this festival of sacrifice. So the sacrifice was every kind of male creature. Nine victims were offered by the blood of these creatures. It was uh, it, these the blood of these creatures was to appease the gods. Their bodies were hanged in a grove which was adjacent to the temple, and, and, and the grove, as in the trees, were considered very sacred to the people because they believed that all the deaths of the victims, the sacrificial victims, actually had made the trees holy. Uh, there were dogs, horses hanging beside human beings. We're talking about, you know, sometimes hundreds of them. There were incantations sung in the performance um, of uh, libation and of various kinds. Uh, not all of them, you know, easy on the ears. So <laughs> they, but they was all to appease Freyr. To uh, this was all about appeasing Freyr to get him to bring back the summer, and so this part of this festival was this was all these sacrifices, and if you could make the pilgrimage to uh, the the great temple at Uppsala, then this this would be something you'd want to do, even though it was the middle of winter. So uh, now the sacrifices didn't have to be. Uh, 
living creatures, though that was preference. It could be inanimate objects, you know, uh, of animals or humans. It was is a pretty bloody and violent affair. So they, we're talking about Christmas and such. That wasn't the Norse tradition. They 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 partied hard. They 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 believe these things. And remember, these people are deeply, deeply religious and superstitious. And they and they're also very, very conservative. So they're going to hold on to these traditions centuries after century, even if they move out of this area. But. Let's put that part aside because that is the kind of the the the, the dark side of the of the the twelve uh, uh, the twelve day the twelve night festival. He says, "Let's get back to the parting." Uh, as uh, John and uh, Paul was talking about, only in the later years uh, would they start having things such as uh, uh, having a variety in their libation. Mostly, these people drank mead. Okay, because uh, that's what grew up there, and uh, and without the trade uh, with the the Chinese uh, and other places, a lot of the uh, food stuffs um, and and for example, uh, John, you mentioned the fact that the bread basket of uh, of Rome was Egypt. Yep. So that's where grain was, and so until they actually went down south oh, yeah. to the Mediterranean and found huge uh, uh, fields of wild grain growing, they didn't uh, uh, they didn't have that. So their traditional drink would have been mead, and which is a very strong drink based on honey. Isn't that right? Yep. Okay. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. Uh, and I, 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 I imagine that by the time they get down into into the more uh, more nicer climes, most of those cities, most of those places have gone wild. So good luck finding usable barley. Yeah. Or that's we're running into some of those enclaves of people who were uh, who, who either because of their isolation didn't get the disease or just happened to be immune. You know, they would be the ones who would pass on the information of, oh yeah, that particular grain that's good eating. You know, and then they could go through the process of 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 winnowing it out and then putting it together and finally growing crops. They have five. You know, they they have uh, five hundred years to develop. You know, uh, these crops because they didn't get to Rome until the year 1000 and it's now 15 something okay so that's uh, that's their uh, the, the overall their festival now some of the more specific things here is is that we already mentioned the Yule log there's also the Yule ham and it was a ham from a pig that had been cured uh, and sometimes smoked and it was cooked either in the oven or boiled okay uh, uh, and the broth. Uh, it was traditionally served in the Nordic countries, coated with a layer of mustard mixed with eggs and breaded with breadcrumbs. So you basically had a shake and bake ham as your as your main dish. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Th- throw some spices in there. And this was a uh, a tribute to Freyr again. Uh, it was associated with boars, and it was for the harvest and also fertility. The boar was considered to be uh, a, a very powerful symbol of fertility uh, in the uh, uh, in, in Germanic paganism and the Norlander culture. There was another animal that was part of this festival, and it was the Yule goat. Okay, F- strangely though, the Yule goat isn't actually a goat. 
It is the 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 last shock of uh, of of wheat or grain or whatever it is that they're growing up there. They would take it in, and they, it would be considered very, very holy and powerful in a mystic way. And they would take it and shape it, tie it together, and shape it into the shape of a goat. So it's actually a big shock of of of, of grain. Okay, and it was connected. This one was directly connected to the worship of of, of Thor, um, and, and who rode in the sky in a chariot drawn by two goats, uh, Tana Grisner and Tana Joster. <laughs> anyway, so it it had magical properties, um, and uh, it was part of the spirit of the harvest. And it was all. It was always, and, and, and many houses would have that prominently displayed by the hearth, you know, showing that the blessings of Thor was on their household. So that was the Yule goat. The, there was one last thing about the wild hunt, which was is that after the wild hunt passed, sometimes that you would see a black dog on a neighboring hearth, but you were ne- you could not remove it unless you used the exorcism ritual that was similar to the custom of getting rid of changelings. And for those who do not know, a changeling is where a, a forest spirit replaces a child with a shape change, one of their own. Uh, but normally, uh, you could not get rid of the, 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 uh, the, the black dog. It had to be kept for a whole year and carefully tended if you didn't want a curse to fall upon your household. So this is a, a dog dog? A dog dog, yes. But it was considered by many people to be actually a spirit. So so if it if it if it if the, if it's getting toward its its later years and dies on you and let's say about June, you're, are you in trouble? I would think so. I would think that would be a sign that you had mistreated it and and the things were going to come back on you. Now, uh uh, returning just uh, just slightly to the wild hunt is that originally it was a big phasmagorical um, legend, but a lot of the later uh, lords and kings decide to take it on for themselves, and they would actually mount a wild hunt of their own. And I could see where a a, 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 a Norlander uh, uh, king or lord would start it on one side of the Norlander territory and ride all the way over to uh, uh, you know to to the temple and finish up with a great big huge sacrifice over there. The Germans uh, really loved this, and they would join in with these uh, reenactments of the wild hunt. Uh, they called themselves of the uh, Hari. Uh, they painted themselves black so they could attack their enemies in the dark. Uh, there were also the Heruli, which were nomadic, ecstatic wolf warriors and uh, dedica- uh, who were dedicated to Wudan, which, of course, is Odin. You could run into all kinds of strange groups of people trying to reenact or uh, take part in the wild hunt. The Norlanders are, like I said, they're seriously partying people and, and, and pretty much no hold is barred. But in the wild hunt, literally no hold is barred. So you could express your passions uh, to the utmost and nobody would think twice about it. Or if they did, they wouldn't say anything about it during that particular uh, festival, uh, part of the festival or reenactment while the hunt was going. And there's some pretty... Uh, 
amazing pictures that I've seen based on this, where they're literally just scooping women up off the ground and carrying them with them as they go riding along. So, as you can imagine, there was probably some 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 partying going on as the wild hunt moved across the landscape. There is another festival that takes place in January, which I think is probably a festival rebirth. Uh, it's not actually part of the 12, uh, 12 nights, but it certainly is as kind of a redemption for all the excesses that go on during 12 nights in the Norlander culture. But uh, that's all I really want to talk about in this particular thing, because it did take place in the time period of what Christmas would be. All right, so does anybody have any more questions about the uh, Norlander uh, 12-night holiday? The, the, the sacrifice is, is rare, though, right? You were, you were saying that's a, that's a small portion of this? They're not rare. They're, uh, they're, it's it, it all. It is just one piece of it. It's part of the, the, the appealing to uh, Freyr to bring back the, the, the spring. Okay, and right. the hanging sacrifices were done primarily uh, it, near temples, but it was also quite common for sacrifices to be done by burning them. So uh, there, so you could have huge bonfires uh, in villages where they would throw animals to be burned up uh, as sacrifices uh, without having to make that trek all the way over to uh, Sweden. Uh, but no, it was it was quite common. For, uh, but, but as they get into but as they get into modern times and they they are getting more ingrained with the other societies and stuff is this stuff starting to fall more into like a, a ceremonial type of thing to where you know maybe a, an effigy is burned or are they still you know burning like the the live animals or like like the Petra Romanans and their and their uh Candles for, for instead of gladiators. Yeah, sacrifices could be inanimate objects. So it could be that certain places they would uh, engage more in that. Uh, also, uh, if they decided to, if it got commercialized, where uh, they were selling animals for uh, things for sacrifice, then it's a lot easier to, to make sacrificial objects like, you know, uh, 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 like as you were talking about, um, you know, uh, a doll or something like that, and that, and you throw that on the fire and it burns, then it is to kill an animal because then, you know, because an animal that is burned in sacrifice is 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 not going to be eaten; it's going to be consumed by the fire, and you kind of want to consume your animals, you know, during the feast. So. I can I can definitely imagine. Well, what they, but what they don't put on that fire is they don't put on that Yule uh, goat. <laughs> that would be very bad. Nor the black dog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also imagine that because 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 they have such a small starting population, they're still thin on the ground, so to speak. So in some areas, if you sacrifice nine guys, that's a, a hefty portion of the local population. Well, I figure like most places, they were probably going to be prisoners. You know, they were criminals. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, in, in most of these cultures, prisons? There's no prisons. It's either you, you either you pay off the blood debt you owe or you're killed. Right. Or you get, you get to be the special guest at the celebration. Well, later on in history, okay, um, they, they did these kinds of sacrifices only once every nine years. So 
the the actual live animal sacrifices and and people sacrifices. So it could be where as time goes on, as you said, Peter, it could become more and more where they're sacrificing effigies and other types of things. And uh, I still think that they would still do that because the Norlanders are a very uh, traditional people. I mean, because of their deep religious beliefs and their and their uh, superstitions, uh, they have every reason to continue to do these things because you know they want to uh, appease. Now, it's the 1500s, so they might kind of get they might have learned at this point that winter comes. It's not because Freyr hasn't brought it; it's because we're going we're on a planet going around the sun. So eventually, when uh, science begins to uh, 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 penetrate the culture, then I think that some of these festivals will become more traditional rather than uh, uh, what would be the term uh, uh, where you're uh, prescriptive. You know, so I, it just kind of depends on when you're talking about the festival itself. So uh, I'm trying to remember when was the whole thing with uh, uh, well, I, I, we can't go by when Gaia was because he he would have been dead. <laughs> his he never would have been born. They did have a, a good understanding of uh, me- meteorology because they had the sunstone, which they used for navigation. So I, you know, I, I don't know, Peter. It's, it's pretty much up to the GM to how uh, superstitious you want to keep the Norlanders. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, it could it could be very uh, believable that. Uh, that you 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 go and uh, have a Norlander in your, your group, and he might go to the the village and uh, in the if it's the mill winter, go and uh, buy himself uh, 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 some livestock and come out and sacrifice it on a, on a big bonfire because that's what his people do. Right, right. As we pointed out, you know when the, when the first first Norlander reached Rome. It probably was completely grown over, so you, you you almost couldn't recognize it was actually a city when you when he found it. So yeah, it's you know it, by the time he gets this even farther south, unless like Egypt, maybe you'll find intact buildings. But as we mentioned before about you know in our previous questions and answer period about old buildings, yeah, by the time they get by the sixteen by fifteen hundreds. Yeah, if they, if they ever do reach China, it's going to be nothing but completely grown over and disappeared. Uh, it, it won't be anything left at that point. Yeah, unless unless it's being kept up in a monastery up in the Himalayas, you know, the, the writings will be gone. Uh, most of those things will be gone. Uh, as a matter of fact, is that Rome itself was abandoned for like two to three centuries. Uh, because the power center of the Roman Empire moved to Venice, wasn't it? Uh, and so no one had any good reason to keep Rome going. And so by the time uh, that they decided, one, uh, one of the, the kings decided to reestablish Rome uh, as the center of Christendom, uh, when he came back, there was nothing there. I mean, it was everything was in ruins. There was just the outside of buildings. There I have one thing for you on this verse. When they first came back to Rome, the Colosseum was covered in flowers and exotic blooms because of the <laughs> the nature of the things they brought into the arena when it was, they stopped using it. The seeds and all the uh the everything was still there. And it was absolutely oh, yeah. it was absolutely magnificent. 
you know, the Rome as a as a city was was really gone at that point. They had to rebuild everything from the ground up again. So, and that's only a couple of centuries of neglect and decay. So, you know, when this happened, uh, and they had you know. 500 years before they even went from where they were down to Rome again, there wouldn't be much left anywhere. The biggest buildings are still going to have something there to recognize, but all the smaller buildings are going to be just piles of rubble, overgrown and probably having goats uh, grazing on them. Exactly. A sketch somebody did of uh, what Rome, when they were getting back into Rome, doing a lot of work there. It was, uh, there were goats, and there were fields, yep. and there were uh, small farmers. Yep, and frequent earthquakes. Uh, they're, rebuilding, they're rebuilding the Parthenon in, in, in Athens, but that was more or less knocked down due to earthquakes and everything, out, and everything else. Well, the Parthenon was, blow, was blown up by Napoleon. Well, yeah, because he stored his gun, they stored his gunpowder there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, lots of lots of things, but yeah, completely grown over. Yeah, so the farther south you go, the longer it takes to get there. Yeah, only a few places where you actually have intact buildings. So a lot of the old learning I was trying to get at a lot of the old learning, unless it's being you're right kept kept alive in some monastery up in the, up in the mountains, is gone. So all the teachings of Herodotus and and also all these all the teaching of the old Greeks gone. So a lot of that knowledge doesn't exist anymore. They, they may still think the world's flat. They're digging out of Herculaneum, the scrolls. They're now being able to pull them and read them, either the carbonized scrolls. Fantastic mm-hmm. process involved, and actually not that difficult. But uh, they're getting more and more stuff. This What I'm reading now is pieces of what they, they brought up. <laughs> and the... Uh, and they they think they've they've now found an entire university, and uh, but the Italian Ooh. government has stopped work on it because they want to do more preservation before they dig this entire huge mass up, and they think there are thousands of scrolls and records and histories that are buried. We might find the Library of Alexander's copy. <laughs> we, yeah. Well, it, it's a. Uh, Probably very close. But for the Nordlanders, it's no good because basically it's, it's under volcanic ash and they don't even know it's there. Ah, but the Fridgeworthy will probably start help, uh, helping them by digging it all up. Yep. But that's not, the, but that's not their solstice tradition. If you're playing Fringeworthy and you come into uh, the Nordlanders during the uh, 12 nights, okay, First of all, you you're gonna the act the main action is gonna probably be at the at the big feast hall. Okay, there's uh, there's going to be a gigantic hearth because they're pulling a tree in from the outside and they're sticking it into the hearth to burn for the next twelve days. Okay, so this you're talking about a huge feast hall. It's going to be filled with drinking and scald singing songs, which you'll be able to understand because of the gifted language thing of, of the great deeds of, of not only the ancient uh, uh, the ancient Vikings, okay, and the stories of uh, of Odin and 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 Thor, but also of the conquering heroes uh, and and the things that they've done since then. 
uh, all the because at this point there's like 500 years of 400 years of of uh, man's you know history and legends that he's made as they do go on their explorations along the northern climbs over to the Americas out to the to the the Russians and uh, possibly further. So 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 there's a whole group of scalds every hour on the hour they grab the tree and push it into the into the hearth. Well, another group is busy scraping out the ashes. Or- I'm not sure how how they'd handle that because I'm talking we're, we're talking a big tree and uh, but it's also it's also the hardest tree they could find. So it's hardwood. So it takes a long time to burn. It doesn't burn fast at all. So you might uh, you, if you move it every hour, you'd only move it a couple of inches probably. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, there's and, skull, and skulls are busy scraping out all the old ashes because you know, hey, it's uh, you gotta make room, right? <laughs> uh, if anything, there's probably an opening on the back of the uh, 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 of the hearth uh, that they can just literally just open it up and just drag all the ashes out, close it, and just keep on going. So uh, you know, it's just tree in on one side, ash out the other. Uh, <laughs> so that thing that came across wrong. The real dynamite moment would be when they get invited to go on a recreation of the wild hunt, because the, you know anything's possible. They could be you know dressed up in woad. They could be you know uh, riding reindeer, horses. Uh, they could, uh, depending upon which way you decide to go with that, it could be very dark. It could be very lighthearted. It could be uh, some kind of a strange twisted thing i mean it's hard to say you know you could have people dressed as zombies uh you know there there could be people stationed out there for to be chased uh you know because they're the spirits of the dead by the wild hunt and grabbed up and dragged you know into the wild hunt with them so and why are you painting why are you painting the hummer with horse symbols and that kind of thing (laughs) yeah Actually, I can see see in some places where they will, if they ever find a white stag, they may try to breed that so that the wild hunt every year has at least one white stag to go after. Well, all you really need is a tameller and comb, and you can make a white stag. <laughs> True. Or a black dog. Actually, I'm also thinking... Also, I'm thinking, oh, too, that we're talking the Vikings, we're talking the Norse, we're talking sagas, the sagas. So, and uh, so, be prepared to sit for eight to ten hours listening to one story. Oh, John, you'd fit right in. <laughs> sorry, sorry, man. Yeah, no, no, right. no, no, no. no. But like I said, John, I'm talking about bringing the awesome. Okay, <laughs> so uh, I mean it's, that's that would all be during the feasting and all. But like I say, the two big, biggest things: the feasting at the feast hall, and then of course going on the wild hunt. And if they're like most cultures, there's probably a very strong fertility rites going on where you know in order to bring in the spring, you know. Um, you know, their, their new life has to be created. So there might be some opportunities there to uh, engage in the uh, in, in, in local uh, politics. Lots of September babies. A lot of September babies. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I got for uh, the Norlanders. They're the partiers, uh, the, the half-orc partiers of the Fringeworthy Races. 
Uh, oh, I, I do want to bring up something. I was talking to Richard earlier because as I was going through putting together the book, uh, the Savage Worlds book, I ran into uh, the second stanza of the um, of the poem. Let me get that up here real quick. Uh, wrong place. There it is. So we all know the, the, the opening stanza, which is, of course is, Mushy Miller, funny fella, running midst the trees. Who's there, I says. I stood in my head, but nobody answered me. Well, there's a second stanza. Oh, yeah, goes, I know this one. Yeah, we know. Mushy, mushy Miller, slargs and sneller, don't hide amongst the trees. They clear the way, and there you stay until the rise of prime. Sorry, it doesn't rhyme. Um, the question is, what are Sneller? And we hear the sound of cricket. <laughs> we have no idea what Sneller are. So you know what? As, as part, when you're listening to this, the contest will already have started, but we're, we're letting you know right now where, you know, we're going to have define and flesh out the Sneller contest for Savage World, for the Savage World's edition. You get to, you know, come up with what Sneller are and why they're important with the Meller and the Slargs. We'll have an impartial jury pick, you know, us us folks here, pick the best description, and you'll get credits for the, for the Sneller in the Savage Worlds book. So like I said, it'll, it'll already be going in the in the Facebook page. We'll have it posted oh, by the time oh, we're, we're done here, I think, or by, by this weekend, I'll have it posted in all, in, in, about this. And we'll, we'll look and see who has the best Sneller description. What is a Sneller? And why they're important along with the, st- the slargs and the meller. You know, John, I, th- I thought you were going to read a different passage. No. And maybe, maybe, my, maybe one of my friends made this up, and I didn't actually read this. Maybe, maybe this is one of the, uh, you know, because we've been playing French Worthy forever, and it was, <clears throat> Who's there, I said, as he bit off my head and gurgled gleefully. Oh, that's the other one. Is it? Okay, so I did read that somewhere. Yeah, that's the Ed, that's the Ed Powers. Yeah, that was Ed Powers' resp- uh, retort when he came back after meeting the Meller for the first time. Okay, that's not a that's not a a, 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 a poem. That's a Powers poem. Yeah, it's a dog. Okay, roll. I got it. All right, so I did read that. I did read the original. Okay. Okay, so thanks everybody for listening to our. Is this our fifth or our sixth Christmas episode? I can't remember. Crap, well, I don't know. Um, We're on our sixth season, so yeah, this would be our sixth Christmas episode. So we want to thank you guys for for being with us all this time. And if you're new, thanks for joining us. We uh, hope that you will uh, not necessarily incorporate these festivals into your daily life but we hope that you'll bring the creativity that went into them and apply it to your game and your life in general we hope that your families will a blessing to you this year and that you will see prosperity and we hope that you will be with us not uh in the new year hopefully playing our games and if not commenting on our facebook and uh itunes and Podbean sites for all the things that are TriTac, and remember, it's not too—it's not too late to go and uh, order uh, a TriTac games <laughs> uh, for your uh, stocking or anywhere else. They're downloadable. You can have them like on Christmas Eve. And we all would like to wish you all a Yo Saturnalia. What is what is a slog end of the year blessing? We didn't have to eat our children. Oh, God, Yummy. 
Hey, and 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 from the Demixi home world, enjoy your waking feast. May your cocoon full full of sloshy goodness be spicy and warm. <laughs> May your belly slosh with as much fervor as the cocoons did. <laughs> <laughs> But for more stuff like this, and maybe not, <laughs> we, will, <laughs> we will have more for you next week. But until then. This was the Toy Tech Games Podcast. This podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. Have a Merry Christmas!